May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In a world of many religions, and it has always been so, people often wonder, what is the unique thing about Christianity that distinguishes it from other religions? Some have said hope. Some have said faith. C.S. Lewis is reported to have said that it's grace. But on this gloomy last day of the year, I'm suggesting that the keynote of the Christian faith is joy. And I suggest that it's a dimension of our faith that so easily we lose as church life becomes a round of busy activity and we tend to serve our Lord Jesus Christ not out of an overflowing heart but out of a sense of duty. And as someone once said, we start, if we're not careful, especially us professionals, we start to think of God as being our employer rather than our Heavenly Father. So I want us to strike a note of joy this morning, and I want us to anchor our thoughts in one or two passages in the Bible. It would be quite possible to anchor our thoughts in about 500 references in the Bible. So all-pervading is this note of joy through the Bible. But I want to start with that reading that we read together, Isaiah 12. It's one of my favourite chapters in the Old Testament. Full of an exhortation to shout aloud and sing for joy. Wonderful. But of course, superficially, the Jews of that age, some 700 years before Christ, were not an exuberantly happy people. In fact, it was quite a miserable time. They'd incurred God's displeasure by disobeying his word, by squabbling among themselves, by splitting into two kingdoms and setting up an alternative system of worship in Samaria. They were in the midst of warlike enemies, Syria, Assyria, Egypt, and things did not look at all hopeful. But the Old Testament prophets were men of hope. Yes, they often had a message of judgment to bring, but they were men who allowed their mindset to be dominated not by the world news, but to be dominated by the thought that the God was the eternal God who would outlast all these petty kingdoms of the world, and they looked forward to a God of hope and a God of joy. A time when there would be an end to all these battles and the bloodshed. A time when the people of God would return to their Lord and enjoy peace, security and prosperity. And a father's love would once again be a reality. A special day in that day, he says. And the question is, in what day? In what day? What was Isaiah what was the vision that Isaiah had of in that day there will be joy and rejoicing? Well, centuries later, as you know, if you know your Bible history, things hadn't got better, they'd got worse. People of God had gone into captivity, but there'd been a restoration, at least in part. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, 
And the verse I read right at the beginning of this service from Nehemiah was after the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt by the, by the people who had gone back. Not all the people, but some of the people had gone back to Jerusalem and had rebuilt the wall. And Ezra the priest had got up and reminded people of the teachings of God's word. And they were sad. The people were sad. They were mourning because they'd fallen so far short of the promises. And that's when Nehemiah said to them, don't grieve. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a sacred day. Rejoice because in the midst of this day of small things, because the glories of Jerusalem were nothing like they had been in Solomon's time, in this day of small things, in this day of you beating your breasts and saying we've fallen short, the joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know, you may be looking back at 2017 and feeling sad yourself at things, targets, aims not achieved, at mistakes made, at falling short. But the message from God's word to us is that even when things on the surface are not going well, there is nobody that can take away the joy of the Lord, and it is our strength. More than anything else, the strength is this inner joy that we have that's not to be confused with outer superficial jollity. Nothing like it. It's a deep inner joy that you know and that I know in our better moments, but don't we so easily lose it? Well, coming back to our potted history of Israel, the succeeding centuries after Nehemiah and Ezra were Pretty miserable years for the people of God. Yet still ringing through the centuries was this thought that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isaiah's day was coming and nothing would stop it. Then one night in the fields above Bethlehem, it was granted to humble working men enduring one more monotonous night of watching over the sheep who never seemed to do anything. Suddenly, they were granted the astounding privilege of hearing an angel of the Lord <coughs> announcing good news of great joy. Do we take in that great joy? It wasn't just ordinary joy. The coming of Jesus was good news of great joy. And who was it for? Just the shepherds? Just the people of Israel? No, for everyone good news of great joy to everyone. And the good news was of a saviour. What would he save his people from? From centuries of foreign oppression? From poverty? From political corruption? From bad leadership? No, it wasn't going to be like that. It was going to be better. You should call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. All those things within us that mar our joy, all these things within us that form a barrier between us and God, all that muddling through that we sometimes experience, that spoiling of things, Jesus Christ came to this world to deal with these problems 
He'd release us, not from the superficial problems of the world, but from the deep problems within that are at the root cause of all the problems of the world. Isaiah had said, in that day you will say, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. But how was this going to happen? It was a costly way, which involved this Son of God, Jesus Christ, being condemned to death as a common criminal, crucified for you and for me. How did he face that? How on earth did he go through that in his humanity? For we believe that Jesus was fully human and felt pain and anxiety the same as we do. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus looked beyond the cross and saw that joy, that joy that he understood better than any other person on this earth, that joy that was awaiting him, that joy that would take him through the deepest trial, that joy that would be his strength in the midst of pain and suffering, that joy that he wanted to pass on to his disciples. And when he called his disciples together, when he gave them that long pep talk, if you like, knowing that he was going to be taken from them, what did he say? He says, I've told you this. Told them what? Told them about loving one another, about obeying his commandments. He said, I've told you this so that your joy may be full. But first he said, my joy, so that my joy may be in you. The joy of Jesus, the joy that sustained Jesus and kept him looking steadfastly forward when it could have been so easily to turn away. And he wants that joy Jesus wants his joy to fill us so that our joy might be full. To sustain you and me, the humblest of Christians, the weakest follower of his, he wanted to be sustained by joy. That glorious day of Isaiah, when all the redeemed believers of all age, along with the angels of heaven, will sing to Jesus, shout aloud and sing for joy. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. That day is coming, but it's still coming, and we live in the interim age, the in-between age, enjoying the fruits of that good news of great joy, but still not able to enter into that glorious age that Isaiah saw at a vast distance, that Jesus saw as he faced the cross, that all the believers of the New Testament saw. We sometimes think of the believers of the New Testament as being like us, sitting in comfortable pews in churches. Not at all. Most of the early Christians came from the dregs of society. Read 1 Corinthians to find out what some of the early Christians there were like. They were downtrodden. They were despised by people around them. They were holding on to a faith which was vastly unpopular in the Gentile cities in which they lived. And yet, and yet, in the midst of their need, 
in the midst of so many things going against them, active persecution in many of the cities. The New Testament writers, Paul, Peter, John, James, write to encourage the believers to rejoice, to not lose that joy of the Lord. That lovely reading that Graham read to us is wonderful, isn't it? 1 Peter chapter 1. He talks about, what does he say? You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You ever, ever had a time when you've been filled with inexpressible and glorious joy? It is wonderful. It doesn't have to be accompanied by speaking in tongues. It doesn't have to be accompanied by <coughs> yelling at the tops of our voices, although there are times for those things to happen. But the keynote of joy is being able to see the reality in the midst of things going wrong. Being able to hold on to something positive which you've got deep down within when no one can see it. Being able to look back perhaps on a year that was marked with sadness and yet knowing that nothing has been able to take away that deep relationship with Jesus which is at the heart of your faith and which sustains you and because it's the joy of the Lord. And he said, why did those believers that Peter wrote to have this inexpressible joy? Why? They were, they were inheritors of all these wonderful blessings. A new birth, a new start in life. Are you wanting a new start this morning? Do you feel, what's this preacher talking about? I'd like to know something about this joy that he's talking about. You have to make a fresh start with Jesus. The Bible calls it, among other things, a new birth. They had a living hope. It wasn't just a, a, a wild hope that things would get better. They had a living hope. They had a risen saviour. Their faith wasn't based on looking back to a dead leader. Their faith was based on the presence in their midst, in all their poverty, in all their need, in all their pain of persecution. They had a living saviour who granted them joy day by day to sustain and to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. They had a place reserved for them in heaven. It didn't mean they didn't have to serve the Lord here and witness to his wonderful saving grace. But they had a place reserved in heaven and God was shielding them and protecting them by their power. Read 1 Peter chapter 1 once again when you get home and see all those wonderful blessings. This is the basis for our joy. Not just the joy of meeting together, which is a joy, the joy we've all experienced over Christmas of meeting with family and friends, the joy of things going right with us. All these are secondary joys. There is a deep joy that comes through knowing Jesus Christ as Saviour, that comes from knowing that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That joy of knowing that we have a living hope, a living hope. I love the quotation, forgive me if I've quoted it before from this pulpit. Someone said that hope is hearing the melody of the future. Faith is dancing to it. 
The Christian dances to the melody of the future. He dances with joy. The Christian looks forward to that day in which you will say, shout and sing, for the Holy One of Israel is in your midst. We come to the end of 2017, and as Jean has reminded us, there is a blank book handed to us entitled 2018. We look forward with confidence to God's blessing upon this church. We each of us take stock and review, what can I do to build up the family of God? What can I do to turn things round? What can I do to help someone, to bless someone, to contribute something that will help to build them up, for we are all commanded to build one another up for their own good. I know that for some of you, 2017 has been a year marked by sadness, by grief, by suffering, and possibly you're still going through that. But that blank page, that blank book headed 2018, is certainly going to have an entry in, in those blank pages. Because God, God is going to be with you, as Gina's reminded you. God is going to hold our right hand. He's going to be accompanying us through whatever you have to face during this year. And God is going to give you his joy. Not as the world gives, said Jesus, but my joy, my joy, and your joy will be full. We're going to be studying in our home groups the wonderful theme of the kingdom of God. And if you haven't signed up for a home group, you're going to be missing some good teaching. So have a word with Keith or myself afterwards and see if we can fit you into one of the home groups. I've got a couple of spare booklets if you want to have a look and see what we're going to be studying, the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is something that is a joyful thing. It's acknowledging the rule of Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives, making him king and regarding our fellow Christians, not just as people we rub shoulders with for an hour on Sunday morning, but as our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are going to bless us and whom we are going to bless during this new year. So remember, as we start that new day tomorrow, this is a day of rejoicing. The joy of the Lord is your strength.